Hello, and welcome to part two of our series on the intertestament period of history. I'm Rob Congdon, director of CMI-TV. In part one of our series, I summarize the accusations of the Lord against Israel in Malachi chapters one and two. As I thought about it, I realized there's just too much in these first two chapters for us to just spend one class on it. So in this class, we'll delve into the accusations from God. God is very thorough in his accusations as he divides the guilty of Israel into two groups deserving judgment. The first group, the priest, chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. The second group, the people, chapter 3, verses 4 through 15. God has accused them in the strongest way possible by using the first person singular, I have, reflecting that he personally is the one they offended. Notice in Malachi chapter 1 and verses 2 through 5. The Lord says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, <laughs> but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eye shall see, and you shall say, ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. Whenever God uses the name Jacob, referring to the nation of Israel, the context indicates God's disapproval or judgment upon the people of Israel. In verse 2, God reminds them that he has cared for Israel throughout their history, while Esau, now recall, it is Esau that settled the land of Edom and is strongly linked to it and its history always against Israel. Esau settled Edom and was destroyed by God. This is a significant contrast that God uses, uh, loved versus hated. For God contrasts Israel and Esau, the protected Israel, versus the enemy, Esau. Israel was always in danger from her enemies, having few natural defenses and little wealth, whereas Edom had an impregnable fortresses in its land, like Petra, with its great wealth. Israel, however, was and has been supernaturally protected, and Edom, it has become insignificant and ultimately destroyed by Malachi's day. Now, in verse 6, God accuses the priests of a lack of respect or disdain for him. Notice he changes the name from Lord to Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts always conveys God's power being used to bring judgment. For those God is dealing with should be in fear of his power to act in judgment. 
In verse 6 we read, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where's mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? saith the Lord of hosts unto you. O priests that despise or disdain my name, and ye shall say, Wherein have we despised thy name? God uses two relationships to suggest chastisement rather than destruction when he brings judgment against Israel. Notice he has just referred to a son to his father, and then a servant to a master. Now think about this. Both relationships, son to father, servant to master, they're relationships that cannot be dissolved. Uh, the term servant is a bond servant, one who is bonded to their master for their entire life. Their relationship, son to father, no matter how old the son is, he's still your son. And a servant is bonded to the master for his entire life. Therefore, both relationships that God illustrates here cannot be dissolved. Remember, Israel was and is God's beloved like a son. And God is like a loving father who is master also to them and teaching them how to spiritually grow up. In these two relationships, we see God's love for his people, Israel. God is very specific in how they have failed to fear him in chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. You see, they have cheated him, among many things, in their offerings. You know, it's always easier to cheat the one you cannot see than to cheat the one you can see. For example, it's easier to say, oh, I forgot to give an offering this Sunday. Oh, no big deal. And yet, with our government, they're visible in our eyes, the IRS. We must pay our taxes or else. You see, the visible is harder to skip or cheat, but the invisible God is easier to, oh, pass it off and move on. This is very important that God is speaking to Israel on this. People always tend to fear what is visible and forget about the invisible. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 14, God expands on his grievances as the descendants of Jacob, who was, remember, a deceiver. And God says, But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. This verse is an allusion to Jacob's lying and deceiving, referred to in verse 2. Remember, God changes not. In Malachi 3.6 he says, Therefore, just as their deceptions are found out in Israel, so too, even in our day, in the church age, deception and cheating God is known by him. Never forget that God always deals with sin. Now, further, for the priesthood of Malachi's day, the judgment would continue to affect the succeeding generations of priests that would come in Israel. We will see that during the intertestament period, few priests heeded God's warnings, 
and the priesthood's holiness further decline through the 400 years. Remember, God wanted the priesthood of Israel to be passed on by birth. First Aaron, then Levi, and so on down to these men. Yet by Christ's day, they bought their high positions of power. You might wish to stop and read Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 through 5 to understand why the priesthood should understand the fear of the Lord. Specifically, in verse 1, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put a fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. I hope you like that illustration. Uh, I could not find who created it, but it's quite clever to illustrate for us what has just happened in these two priests who thought they could cheat God. The priesthood had the highest calling now from the Lord, for the priests were to proclaim the law of truth, the scriptures. For in Malachi 2 and verse 7 we read, For the priest's lips shall keep knowledge, and they shall seek the law of his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Verse 8. But ye are departed out of the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 9. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as you have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Further, that law was to be applied justly and fairly with all the people, as we see in verse 8, and not overlook some sins of the right people. The priests were to walk with God and be holy in their lifestyle. They were to be different from the world around them. We have just seen how the priests were failing the Lord during Malachi's day. But as to the people now, God expected them to be totally dependent upon him and to remain faithful in their walk with him. So God illustrates it this way with the picture of marriage in verses 14 to 17. They were supposed to stay true to him as a man to the wife of his youth. There was to be no spiritual adultery, for they were to stay true to him, their God, regardless of the circumstances during the marriage. We read in chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. The relationship again is stressed. He reinforces it that it can't end. In verses 14 through 16 we read, Yet ye say, wherefore or why? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. It's important to realize that marriage, you're actually establishing a covenant that in sickness and in health, better or for worse, you will stay husband and wife for your entire life. Now back to verse 15. 
Therefore, take heed to your spirit. Let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith thee, he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. Putting away was the term in Malachi's day of divorce. It creates the wrong picture of our relationship to our Lord. We must show through our marriages, if you are married, that we are reflecting that unique relationship that cannot end between us and our Lord. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what difficulties we face, we have to remember he is still our husband and we the wife, as Paul teaches us, and therefore God will never let us go. So we've just seen the priests were guilty, and so too are the people. Finally, God reaches his limit of tolerance. Now, I, I chuckle because I sometimes joke, if I were God, this is what I'd do. Well, I'll be honest with you, I would have given up on them long ago. But God will never end his relationship with his people. But here in verse 17, God does reach a limit of his tolerance. When the people question whether God is just and righteous. For they looked around and they saw evil succeeding. They wondered, where was God's justice? And the text says, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, Wherein have we wearied him? When you say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? Here we see their ignorant, unbelieving accusations against God was wearisome to God and reflected their own lack of knowledge, understanding, and study of God as taught in his word. Yes, certainly the priests were guilty, but never forget this. The people were also guilty. The people could have asked questions of the priests and inquired about the teachings of God. I believe, had they, that God would have led them to someone capable of teaching them about the true God and his ways. It's no different today. In the church today, many Christians do not know the true God of the Bible because there is little true teaching of him in their churches. Significantly, they don't know God's plan and purpose of history. How does it all connect together? That's why we call these classes Connecting the Dots. So often, messages given in churches are just nice little motivational speeches. Instead of showing you how the scriptures connect together and teach progressively more and more about God so you can understand him and then as you face difficulties and problems in life, you say, ah, I've seen something like this in the scriptures and how God responded. He can respond that way now. You see, it's teaching you to understand your Lord and to know him better. Sadly, so many people and churches don't make the effort to study about the Lord, about his word. 
and his prophecy. I can't stress this enough. Prophecy must be taught in scripture. I am seeing increasingly churches are abandoning prophetic Bible conferences. And that's too bad because, again, that helps us connect the dots and then go beyond to understand where God is taking us in history. If you're in a church that does not teach the importance of knowing God's plan of history and his plan for you, then get one that does. If they don't offer many opportunities for you to study God's word and the role of prophecy, then get one that does. It may be hard to find one. It's getting harder every day. But search, pray about it, and the Lord can lead you to Bible teaching that you need. Now, if you don't make the effort to study on your own, then you're not going to grow. You can't alter how you handle things in life. You have to make that effort to study on your own. And I, I stress that because if you think about it, you spend at best, what, three hours a week in church, maybe four? That's not enough to counter so many things happening in your life. You need to saturate by studying the word in your own time and in depth so you can grow spiritually throughout your entire lifetime. Sadly, there's only a small minority of Christians, I believe today, that are making the effort to grow in the Lord. Peter said in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now don't misunderstand that word knowledge there. It isn't just head knowledge, stuffing facts into your head. It's taking the events of Scripture, taking the teachings of Scripture, blending them together. And that gives you knowledge, but that word also includes the idea of wisdom of how to apply it in your life. I, I just can't stress this enough. You need to be taught. The people in Malachi's day were not being taught. And they went through 400 very difficult, silent years until the birth of Jesus Christ. And the nation's response to the Lord as the Messiah during those years was not biblical because they had not known God's word. Are you part of that small minority? Find fellow believers who are in the minority, the true biblical minority, and grow together in a church that truly teaches the scriptures. Now please join me again in our next video where we will see God's answers to the people of Malachi's day that asked, how can God allow the unjust and unrighteous to prosper and the just and righteous seemingly are getting no reward? The answer to this will help all to understand the coming 400 years in Israel's history, the intertestament period of history. Until I see you again, may the Lord bless you mightily, and we will either see you here or in the air. Mm -hmm.